is White Sox Weekly, your two-hour all-access pass to everything White Sox. Drive in the air, deep to right, it is gone! This is a presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We got a ball game this afternoon coming up in just a little bit, a couple hours from now. In fact, it'll be the White Sox and Tigers, of course. Uh, we got plenty to do on the show this uh, this morning here for you. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Uh, we've got the pregame show coming up at 1230. It's a good pitching matchup, too. Dylan Cease and Michael Lorenzen, both of them starting today's game. So a good matchup of starters. Uh, that'll be a good one. Nice to see, hopefully, Dylan Cease bounce back. And then Michael Lorenzen pitched really well against the, uh, the White Sox last time the Tigers faced this ball club. This was uh, back in Detroit this last weekend. Of course, Lorenzen was like perfect through a handful of innings. We'll also talk with Clint Frazier, uh, likely pretty soon. Clint was a new addition to the White Sox in the minor leagues. He ripped things up, has come up to the big leagues, and uh, produced real well for the Sox in some, uh, in some off-duty and some, uh, some spare time. So he's been a good addition to this ball club, good right-handed bat, and an outfielder as well. We've got a lineup for you. Guess we'll get that out for you right away here. Tim Anderson's at the top of the card for the White Sox this afternoon. Andrew Benintendi is in left. Luis Robert Jr. is in center field. Eloy Jimenez is in right field. Yoan Moncada at third base. Andrew Vaughn at first. Yasmani Grandal will catch. Gavin Sheets is the designated hitter. And Elvis Andrews has second base for the White Sox today against Michael Lorenzen and the Tigers. Also, Sox fans, head to the ballpark next Saturday, June 10th, as the White Sox take on the Miami Marlins. The first 20,000 fans will receive a White Sox Hawaiian shirt presented by Beggar's Pizza. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash promos. Sox were winners last night. They took the opener against the Tigers. A shutout, in fact. Nice little 3-0 victory. Sox got offensive contributions from Eloy Jimenez with an RBI. Andrew Benintendi drove one in. And Tim Anderson had an RBI double in the seventh as well. He started out the day 0-2 and then came back with two hits in the sixth and seventh to help space out the win for the White Sox. Mike Clevenger was very good in his first start off the injured list. He'd been laid up with some uh, right wrist inflammation that popped up in his last start. It was back in the middle of May, the 17th or 18th. Apologize for my memory failing, but it was either one of those days, and he pitched well that time out as well. Five innings, shutout ball, no walks, six strikeouts for Clevenger last night as he rejoined the White Sox rotation. Uh, so that was a good start from him. And the bullpen pitched well. A little bit of trouble uh, for Joe Kelly in the eighth inning. A leadoff walk to Akil Badu in a 3-0 game. And then a single to Javier Baez. He had two hits last night. Sox were actually able to strand him at third with two away. In the fourth, it was good pitching by Mike Clevenger. Either way, Baez on first and Badu at second base. Nobody out. Kelly real quickly regained control of the strike zone. He was a little wild within the strike zone. In that, to start that eighth inning, he struck out Spencer Torkelson. He struck out Nick Maton and then got Eric Haas to ground out. It was a comebacker back to Kelly that was a, was a hard hit ball right would have gone right between the wickets had Kelly not gotten the glove down. It actually kind of 
clanked in front of him four or five feet. He had to come down the mound, pick it up, scoop a throw over to first base, and he made a really calm, under-control kind of play and was able to get the out for the end of the inning. And that's a – I mean, I I talked about it last night. It was kind of one of those big, underreported, don't-see-it-in-the-box score kind of moments for the White Sox last night. Because if that ball – it's a play that a lot of pitchers either hustle too quickly on and throw it away down to first, or perhaps when you you pick up that baseball and try and wing it over, you see the runner going down, and you don't throw the ball – that's a situation where you you really credit the defense of your pitcher. I mean, I just wrote it down as 1-3 in the scorebook and put a little circle around it to remind me to talk about it here on White Sox Weekly. Everybody else just puts down the 1-3 put out, and you're you know, kind of moving on to the next inning. But it's those kind of defensive plays where, especially when you're facing a division team like the White Sox are here against the Tigers, this these are important wins. So the Sox are now 24-35, and 35, 11 games under. The Twins won last night, so it's still a 7.5 game lead for the Twins in the AL Central. The Tigers are 3.5 back. A lot of work to do here in the month of June, but the White Sox have been playing better baseball in the month of May and are now 1-0 in the month of June. We've got to head out to the phone lines right away here to start the show. Joining us is White Sox outfielder Clint Frazier on the line and hanging out and talk a little baseball here on a Saturday morning. Clint, thanks so much for hopping on, man. Really appreciate it. Welcome to White Sox Weekly. Of course, man. Thank you for having me, and obviously I'm excited uh, to talk with you. Absolutely. So, Clint, tell me this. Well, we'll lay the groundwork first. We're going to we're going to preface a question that we're going to end the interview with. And we've done this for a couple of years here on White Sox Weekly. I probably could have told you about this in the clubhouse, but I was all over the place. We're going to end the interview, and I want you to marinate on this. What is one thing that you've never done, but you're irrationally confident you'd be good at? Just keep that in the back of your mind as we talk here. But that's going to be the question to end the interview. We've done this with some of your teammates, and I can let you know what some of them said over the last couple of years. But I think it's a fun one, and hopefully we can have some fun with it toward the end. All that said, what's been kicking in with the White Sox here the last couple of weeks? It's been better baseball. It's been better offense. It's been better pitching. What do you think has kind of been the big turnaround since you've got here? Yeah, you, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm super new here. I, I didn't experience, you know, one-tenth of any of the stuff that this team's already gone through so far so I don't want to you know put the cart before the horse and try to act like I know everything but you know I think that the the one thing that's standing out right now is you know obviously you know getting Clevenger back last night and him having a strong outing and you know every time I see Keenan Middleton go out there he has a clean inning and he just he's dominating so he kept it up and you know Kendall Graveman did the same thing Lopez I mean guys are picking each other up whenever you need them the most and and I think that's one of the things that baseball is you know it's really important to do in because you know you can't always have a clean inning you can't always get the guy over and and it's always about you know quote-unquote passing the baton to the next guy and you know it doesn't take just one guy to change a season it takes many way beyond the entire 26-man roster usually and and you know obviously you know, like you just said, we're one and zero in the month of June, and and you know you want to build off of that, and you want to just continue to try to, you know, pick up the pieces where you left them from the game before, and obviously, you know, last night was a good start for that. 
Talking with Clint Frazier here on White Sox Weekly. You know, it kind of sounds like something else we've we've talked about a bit on the show here the last couple of weeks. It, it's kind of like winning on the margins, right? When you're when you're a team in a position that you guys are trying to get back to 500 and chasing down a division leader, you you can't let the little things go by the wayside, and that's where you've got to have guys either coming off the bench or out of the bullpen you know, cleaning up for whatever situations they get thrown into. I, I was talking about Joe Kelly's play last night on the comebacker. That's a play that a lot of guys whip into the seats because you're rushing a throw to get the third out. Kelly was able to stay under control, and in the box score, it's just a 1-3. But that's a situation where things, you know, unravel on teams that aren't ready for it. You guys were able to get it done. Yeah, and I forgot to mention Joe. You know, Joe and I have a good rapport with each other. I call him Lil Bro. He calls me Big Bro, so sorry, Lil Bro. forgot to mention you. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think the one thing that people don't realize is how much work goes into trying to make the plays like that. You know, people on TV see it and think it's just something simple. But, you know, I mean, those guys are out there daily doing the, the PFPs, and, you know, they're working at it. And, and obviously you want to – if you're going to fail at it, you want to fail in practice so you can be successful at it in the game. And, and you know, Joe, Joe's been doing this, man. He's, he's so good at what he does. He's so good at making people go out there and, and feel uncomfortable in the box. And, you know, obviously to, to make a big play like that right there at a time whenever we needed it a lot was, was important for him and important for us to, to try to build off of that. And, you know, the rest of the game went pretty smoothly. So you could say the, the practice actually paid off. Clint, you've been put in a situation here with the White Sox where you've started some games and come up with some big hits. You've had to pinch hit a couple of times. You've come in on defense. You've pinch run. What what goes into your head when you've got either a, a pinch hit opportunity or come in on defense and then you get that next at bat? Like, how do you? What's most important for you psychologically to get into the ball game that way? Um, you know, so so for me, my my routine is pretty pretty much the same every day that I'm not playing and and you know you start by just kind of like watching the game you're kind of just trying to to feel it out let a few innings pass because usually you know the beginning parts of the game you're just going to be a spectator more so than someone that's going to come in um but you know as the lineup starts to turn around you start to get to that fifth sixth inning you can start to imagine you know you have a pretty good feel for who are the guys that you're going to be the one to go in for. And, and typically for me, it's anyone that's a left-handed hitter. So, you know, I just try to continue to to put myself mentally in a spot where like, hey, like, do not be surprised if they call your name right here because that's one of the hardest things to, to be caught off guard and, and, you know, try to go in there and hit 100 miles an hour afterwards is, is extremely hard. So, um I do a lot of visualization, man. I'm not going to lie. Before, after games, I have a lot of breath work that I do. I, I do some pretty wonky things that, you know, obviously to some might seem silly, but to me it's extremely important to try to put myself in a scenario that I haven't been in or maybe one that I have been in and try to just continue to see in my head, you know, visualize myself having success because ultimately that's what this game is all about is going out there and, and you know, just trying to – to show your value every single way and, and, and do it every single day, whether that's defensively, offensively, being a teammate, whatever it is, man. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we have to do right in order to, to try to maintain a roster spot, and I'm just trying to continue to do all of them. Uh, you've, you've piqued my interest. My eyebrows are raised, Clint. What What is breathwork? Um, so, I mean, in a, in a nutshell for me, you know, obviously – 
you know, I had some health stuff in the past. I had a lot of concussions that, you know, ultimately made baseball hard, but it made life really hard. And, and one thing that I found through that was a man on the Internet named Wim Hoff. And he's an interesting dude, man. He's got a lot of philosophies, and, and a lot of his stuff is research-backed. And I'm not going to sit here and act like I know what he does on a daily basis and everything that he does. I just know one thing that he has brought to life for me, and it's breath work. And, and for me, when I was going through those concussions, the breath work seemed to help mitigate my symptoms that I was having. And so it was something that, you know, I couldn't help but want to do every single day. And, and you start to do these things where, you know, you breathe and you pump a lot of oxygen into your lungs. Uh, it's like a 30-second breath cycle where you're really, really exaggerating how much you're breathing. And then what comes to follow is you hold your breath for about a minute after. And, and that's where, you know, that's where you visualize for me. I usually feel like I find the most important thoughts like that, like just to go out on a limb and say like, dude, the day that I got called up before the game, I was visualizing myself in a White Sox uniform and next thing you know, I got called up. So, you know, obviously those things don't always go hand in hand, but you can, you know, you, you can kind of bring stuff to light if you try to visualize them happening. And, and I try to do a lot of that in this game because ultimately you know someone on the other side is trying to stop you from doing that and i'm trying to put myself in a scenario in my head where i've done it and done it and done it that's that's awesome man i mean that's that kind of thing whatever works for you right perceptions reality a little bit and i think i think from the outside is either fans or analysts in this game it's very easy to lose track of the fact that you guys you know, you've got a job to do, and like you said, someone's trying to stop you from, like, really hard trying to stop you from getting your work done. So whatever gets you there into that particular mindset or feeling right is what works, is what's going to work. For sure. It's it's a, it's a hard sport, man. You just got to do whatever you can to keep you sane. And, you know, obviously, I try not to let my uh, routine become a superstition. Sure. Um but, dude, I mean, sometimes it does. You know what I mean? Like, you, you just – we're creatures of habit, and, and it's a long season, man. So anything that we can do to try to maintain the success that we had prior is something that I'm all in for. So the breath work is, is big for me, and, and I know it's big for a few other guys on this team. I get that. It's like, uh, you know, I, I had three hits last night, and I laced up my left shoe before my right shoe. So I don't, I don't have to do it again, but it was three hits, so maybe I'll do it anyway. It, hey, as as simple as it seems, it works. You know what I mean? Like, anything that you can do, bro. I mean, like, the biggest thing that I tell people is there's no one that you talk to more times in a day than you. So to make sure that you're putting the right kind of thoughts in your head and, and what you want to achieve that day is what you need to put in your head every single moment. So, you know, simply put, I mean, I, every single day whenever I'm in the outfield or on the bench, I'm telling myself in my head what my plan is at the plate consistently it's almost annoying man i'm saying it so much that i'm trying to drill it down to be able to do it so it is kind of crazy whenever you're in the box and you're saying like hey i'm gonna hit a line drive over the second baseman and and you hit one it's 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 cool man it's, it's uh it's a weird sport we play but you just try to stay sane in the process clint what went into i was reading a bit about a, a batting stance change that you'd made i think it was shortly before you got to the white Sox, if memory serves but clean that up for me if i'm wrong you were ripping the cover off the ball in triple a and i would imagine that's in large part what led to the call up and the opportunities that you've gotten here what what was the change uh why make it and what's it helped 
Um, you know, so for me, I think a lot of players in, in sports in general and, and maybe people just in life in general, they think that they're capable of more and they try to they try to pull it out and, and they have a hard time pulling it out. And I, the last year, really struggled trying to pull out the the product that I knew that I could bring to the plate. And I think the one thing that I did wrong the entire time was I tried to force it and I tried to kind of be somebody else. And and for me, like I said earlier in the, the visualization comment was, you know, I, I go through, I went through a lot of stages, man. Like I went through, I went through high school stages where I was amazing. I went through minor league where I was good and then major league whenever I was good. And then all of a sudden it just got taken away. And I think I kind of lost the natural feel a little bit, you know, you kind of realize you don't know as much about this sport as you do whenever you're struggling and you can't get yourself out of it. So I think the one thing that I was doing the most that helped me get back was I was just trying, like I said, with the visualization, I was just trying to visualize myself in the most natural state in the box and however it fell, it fell. And so for me, it was whenever we were in Gwinnett, I closed my eyes, I just put my hands, my legs, the width, everything in a natural state, and bro, I took five swings off of a tee, all five were really, really good, and then I went into the game, and the first pitch I saw was a home run. So, it was, for me, it was enlightening just because it was like, hey, like, you know, you don't have to try as hard to look or to be somebody else. Who you are is enough in the box, and that's what got me here, and and ultimately, like, Bro, it's kind of crazy if you look at my stance now versus my stance whenever I was 18 years old, how much it kind of fell back into that natural state before I made baseball a lot harder than it was. So, you know, we're just playing glorified wiffle ball, man. I'm trying to turn it back to those days. Glorified wiffle ball at 99 out of the right-handers. Uh, that's that's I like it. Uh, and whatever gets you there is fine by me. It doesn't look – well, it does look like a wiffle ball up here sometimes, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> It is, man. These guys, those pitchers are scientists on the mound at this point, the way they're just making stuff up out there, bro. Yeah, or, or wizards, and it's, and it's all dark magic and, and maybe not even allowed. Uh, Clint, end of the interview. So we're coming back okay. to the first question we asked. What is one thing that you've never tried but are irrationally confident that you'd be good at if you did give it a go? I think I know that you know what I'm going to say right here. I'm thinking um, about it. And it's commentating, man, broadcasting, commentating of some sort. You know, I've always had an interest in it just because, you know, going through some of the New York days and and being prepped for the way that some of those interviews are conducted and and trying to just get out of there alive, I I found a knack with how to, you know, kind of talk in front of a mic and, and answer questions a certain way. And, you know, one thing that, that I do do is give you full authentic, I'm authentic whenever I talk, you know, so it's something I want to do. I don't know when I would do it, but, you know, if there's somebody out there that would give me the opportunity, I think I could, uh, I think I could be good, man, but we'll see. We'll see. I think, uh, I think we could talk to the bosses up at the White Sox radio network, probably find an opportunity or two for it. Do you, is this the kind of thing where like you're on the top step and you're doing color commentary to your teammates while a game's going on? Like, are you at that point yet? (laughs) I'm not there yet, but you know what? Like, I have found with basically almost every team I've played for that, you know, when the the wheels touch down in the city that we land in, they want me on the mic, on the mic, on the bus, driving to the hotel every time. So... You know, I think they like my sense of humor, and and obviously, you know, I I'm not gonna lie, dude. I say stuff that 
not many people will say, but a lot of people are thinking. So I think that um, I think people just have an interest in hearing the the unknown of what's going to come out of my mouth next. All right, man. We'll tell you what. We got show next week. If you want to do a little bit of work, we got some time for you. But know your worth, right? When these networks call, you got to let them know. This, you talk to your agent. Uh, this is the, the thoughts inside Clint Frazier's head. They don't come free. Yeah, yeah, no, there, there's money that's obviously going to follow with the words that I say. So, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But until then, man, baseball's first. Clint, appreciate you, my man. Good luck today. All right, thanks for having me. You got it. That's Clint Frazier, outfielder of the White Sox and future baseball commentator. I could see it, absolutely, 100%. Sox and Tigers coming up a little bit later this afternoon. We'll get you set for today's ball game. We'll talk about some of the big things going on with the White Sox here. A big game last night, a good win, too. We'll talk about the key factors in that game and what's coming up today all on White Sox Weekly. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's simple. The ESPN Chicago app. Oh, one is grounded. Fair past a diving Mayton. That'll get into the left field corner. Eddie Rodriguez is giving Berger the go sign. He'll score. It's a double. It's 3-0. Len Casper on the call, Tim Anderson with the work, and uh, I think that's style by Taylor Swift in the background here on White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight here on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I Listen, I'm not much of a Swifty. I have heard, you know, all the big hits that she's had on the radio. How could you not? She is ubiquitous and, uh, and deservedly so. There's a lot of talent there. It's just not... I'm not of that age. I'm not of that generation. But I've, I've definitely heard a handful. That The 1989 album is a good one. Can't say that it necessarily speaks to me top to bottom. But I think Styles off that album, and that's probably my favorite song. I didn't know Kendra was going to play that one coming back, but we appreciate it. There are tons of people in town here for the Taylor Swift concert over the weekend. Uh, hopefully some of them make their way down to the White Sox ball game here today or tomorrow and then go to the Taylor Swift concert. I think that'd be pretty good double dip. Uh, either way, Tim Anderson got it done uh, with style a little bit last night too. Located on the 200 level, directly behind home plate, the Guaranteed Rate Club is premium seating at its finest. Plans start at 20 games, including food, beverage, flexible payment plans, and postseason opportunities. Limited inventory is available for more information, visit whitesox.com slash GRC or call or text 312-674-1000. You know, this is a, it's a pretty cush gig. Len and DJ talk about it a lot. We've got some of the best seats in baseball up here at Guaranteed Rate Field. It is, though, one of my... It, I would love, if I could do one game as a fan, you know, take one ball game off, grab a couple of tickets, I would go to the Guaranteed Rate Club. I've, I've not been... I've not taken in the game there. How do the scout seats are all? I mean, it's great positions, great places to watch the ball game, and a whole bunch of good food and all that kind of stuff. You should definitely look into it for a White Sox game a little later on this summer. Um, we had Clint Frazier on earlier in the show, so that kind of moved our schedule around a little bit. White Sox and Tigers coming up here in just a couple hours. It's a 110 first pitch. Dylan Cease and Michael Lorenzen, the starters in those for those particular games. So we'll get to those in just a little bit. Uh, before we hit the break here, 10 seconds for station identification. 
Live from the Old National Bank State Street Studio, this is WMVP WSAG HD2, Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the White Sox bullpen and where Liam Hendricks may be used in a ball game next. 312-332-3776. I'm Connor McKnight's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Get weird with Waddle's World on ESPN Chicago. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Sox and Tigers coming up here at Guaranteed Rate Field. It's a 110 first pitch, 12:30 pregame show in White Sox Weekly up until then. We've got Dylan Cease and Michael Lorenzen on the bump today. And I kind of wanted to talk about the back end of the bullpen, really the entire bullpen for the White Sox here a little bit, because it played a big factor in last night's ballgame. I mean, sure, five scoreless innings with six strikeouts and no walks from Mike Clevenger is a huge lift. He got a no decision. Sox didn't score until the sixth. That's kind of the whole pitcher win-loss thing. It was Keenan Middleton who actually got the win. His first is a White Sox, and his ERA is at 1.37. I, I think... You know, it's it's kind of difficult to guess along with where White Sox relievers are going to slot in against opponents right now. And the reason isn't because Pedro Grifol or Ethan Katz are trying to do something tricky. Uh, it's, it's just really because Liam Hendricks is back and where he's going to spot in against particular relievers or when he's available to pitch is all, it, it's very day-to-day. That's not a knock on anybody. Obviously, Liam is coming back from a non-Hodgkin lymphoma diagnosis and treatment. He's in remission and back with the club, and he made his debut on Monday night, and it was absolutely electric here at the ballpark. Really uh, a highlight of this season, regardless of what happens the rest of the way down the line. That was a really, really impactful moment. I I think for a lot of people here, the, the place was wild. The LED light show, the whole thing, as Liam came into the game. But... You know, the the interesting thing about Liam and, and, and about the perspective that many have had around his recovery uh, and subsequent return to Major League Baseball was kind of twofold. And I've talked about this a lot uh, when I guest on shows on the station on ESPN 1000 on our flagship. I, I was kind of of two minds with Liam Hendricks and when he was diagnosed with cancer. And I think a lot of his teammates have kind of echoed something like this similarly. It's oh my gosh, this is such a huge thing. You you feel terrible for him. You can't help but feel for him and his family, his wife, all that. I mean, all the things that go with it. And also, you kind of felt, of, of course he'll beat this. He's Liam Hendricks. You figure he might be able to make opening day. You know, you, just, you have that in your mind because of who he is. So at the same time, when he's back with the ball club, Liam comes out of that first game having given up two runs and a couple of hits, and he he's not out there, in, in his mind, to be somebody that gets a special exception because of where he's been. He wants to be held to the standards that Liam Hendricks has been held to as an elite reliever in this game for a handful of years now. That's that's wild. I mean, it, it's, it's part of what makes Liam Liam. It's part of the, the competitive nature that makes every ball player a major leaguer to a certain degree. But it is something that absolutely sets Liam aside as this next level kind of competitor. At least it seems to me. So, in that vein, 
trying to find exactly what, on a day-to-day basis, this White Sox bullpen is going to look like when it goes to attack the the best pockets of hitters that any given opponent is going to offer late in the ballgame is kind of a difficult guessing game. I thought it was interesting, though, that last night, after Clevenger was done after five innings, and I, I think, too, Clevenger probably would have gotten the sixth if this start came next time in the rotation, White Sox were looking to maybe ease the workload a little bit in his first start off the injured list. It was 73 pitches for Clevenger and a lot of strikes. Maybe some of the best breaking stuff, in my opinion, that we've seen from Clevenger while a White Sox. Even still, I'm just saying he probably doesn't pitch or or, or he probably doesn't go to the bullpen. Pedro doesn't in the fifth or in the sixth, rather, if Clevenger is, is back and in full go. He wasn't. Not yet. Sox were playing it somewhat conservative. You can understand that, too, when a first start off the I.L., and Keenan Middleton got the sixth. That's the two, three, and four hitters in the Tigers lineup. He would end up facing a fifth, Nick Maton, but Middleton gave up just the one single and got through the inning. So then Pedro kind of goes to the, as he attacks the down part of the order, seven, eight, nine, and and, and then back to the top, Reynaldo Lopez gets the assignment. Joe Kelly got the next middle pocket of hitters, two, three, four, five, six. He walked one and gave up one hit. And then Kendall Graven was turned to for the ninth inning. It was seven, eight, and nine. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if a save opportunity came up and it were that bottom part of the Tigers lineup or whomever, if Liam were eligible for, for an, an appearance like that, I, I think they want to try and mix and match a little bit of his opportunities in high leverage like that, perhaps against advantageous matchups in the bottom part of an opponent's lineup, or something a little bit more mid-leverage where the White Sox are up a couple or perhaps down a couple uh, and work him in that way. Obviously, what the next assignment looks like, you know, whether that's the day after, two days after, that's going to be based a lot upon, it seems like, how he feels on a day-to-day basis. It makes bullpen management for the White Sox right now a little bit tricky, but as they've said a lot, it's a good problem to have because having Liam Hendricks in a bullpen is a very good thing, almost regardless of how he's pitching at a given moment. Also in this mix are now a couple of relievers who are you know, kind of, kind of pitching multiple innings over the last little bit. Reynaldo Lopez had a multiple inning outing a couple of days ago. It was against the Angels in the middle game of that series. He threw two scoreless and struck out four. Garrett Crochet has been going a couple innings. Gregory Santos has been going a couple of innings. And I think that's kind of a big change in this White Sox bullpen compared to how April went. You had a lot of guys you know, kind of having to attack singular innings, mostly because White Sox starters were being knocked around so early. The Sox were turning to a bullpen. You needed to get multiple, you know, four or five innings out of the bullpen at times, and that, you know, made the White Sox kind of have to go to, you know, one-inning guys, maybe four or five guys out of the pen, and, and weren't having the opportunity to go multiple innings with a guy because of what that does to your bullpen days after that. So now, being in a much better shape, a much better availability situation, at least right now, the White Sox bullpen really seems to have a a much better set of options, including some of the guys that had been here but are now kind of cleared to go multiple innings and now have this 
you know, kind of floating Liam Hendricks threat to attack big parts of the lineup if things are, you know, all thumbs up on a given day or maybe even kind of slot into different leverage situations after that. I I think, too, you know, whether it's save opportunities like last night, a 3-0 lead at the down part of the order, it is a very good thing to have both Kendall Graveman and Joe Kelly throwing the way that they've been throwing. Graveman to the 1-2-3. And then Kelly, I, you know, I thought last night might have been kind of a big turn-the-corner-back kind of situation for Joe Kelly. Against the Tigers this last weekend in Detroit, Kelly absolutely ran up against a couple of bumps. He had been on a, an 11-game scoreless streak, a whole bunch of innings. He, he just looked unhittable. And then all of a sudden, he was hittable against the Tigers. He walked the first guy he faced last night, then gave up a single. He was kind of all over the place, then locked it back down. Two strikeouts and a ground out. That was back to being the kind of Joe Kelly that we'd seen with the unhittable stuff, the velocity, the curveball at 90-something. Uh, it, it looked like he was able to you know, re-harness whatever it is that he'd gotten, and perhaps that good role is going to be back on for Kelly here over the next couple of games. The other part, you know, flipping from the pitching side of things to the offensive side of things, the other part of this for the White Sox right now, it seems to me, is the second base situation. While the White Sox returned Mike Clevenger from the injured list yesterday to make the start, and they got a good one out of him, Elvis Andrews is going to make his return from the injured list. He came back to the roster yesterday, but gets his first start today. This is a situation where it it's gonna be it's gonna be really interesting to watch because while Pedro Grafal has said a couple of things about wanting to put the best player out there that this is a competition for the White Sox you know between Romy Gonzalez and Elvis Andrews at second base with perhaps a smattering of Jake Berger but I think it's going to be mostly Andrews and Gonzalez Pedro says he wants to play the guy that gives them the best chance to win that this is a competition balancing that out is somewhat difficult with the kinds of hitters that Andrews is at this point in his career and that Romy Gonzalez is as well. We've seen Romy get hot over the last week or so. But even while Romy is is hot and swinging a powerful bat, it's not as though he's walking a ton. He's a free swinger, and the strikeouts are going to be there. That comes with some of the power he offers you. He has been very good defensively at second base. He made a couple of really good plays last night, one on a pick to his right, one on a pick to his left that were both really good. He went into the outfield on that one to his left, or a really good play there. He's shown range. He's got a lot of speed. He offers a, a lot of things at second base. And can play some corners, too. Andrews had not gotten off to a really good start with the bat, but began swinging it pretty well at AAA Charlotte. you got to watch out for results, but the reports were pretty good about how he was feeling swinging that bat. The, The White Sox offensively at second base could use a whole lot more, and they started to get some of that from Romy Gonzalez over the last week or so. So the question now kind of becomes, can either of these players, be it Romy or Elvis, keep up a good stretch if and when Pedro and Charlie Montoyo and everybody else who makes up the lineup needs to kind of work in the other guy a little bit. Is this a true, you know, obviously both are right-handed hitters, but I'll use the word platoon just for the lack of a better one. Usually platoon refers to a guy that's lefty and faces the righties or righty and faces the lefties. But can you kind of make this a platoon where both guys are finding more advantageous matchups and still keeping both of them 
hot, you know, making sure that you're not letting them rust a little bit with some of the time off that they're going to have while working in the rest. That's a difficult situation to manage, but it's one that the first-year manager, Pedro Grafola, is going to have to work through here over the next couple of weeks. I also think a big factor for this ball club right now will be what's coming up on the schedule in June. We'll talk about that when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Oh, and by the way, join us July 29th for a pregame Sox Crawl Day Party presented by Vizzy Hard Seltzer. You can enjoy the summer vibes, Sox baseball, and a party in the outfield with live entertainment from our Sox DJ. Not Darren Jackson, different Sox DJ. Although if DJ wanted to get on the ones and twos out there, I think everybody would support it. This crawl features food and beverage, happy hour specials, exclusive co-branded sunglasses, and more. To purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash crawl. Back with more White Sox Weekly in just a little bit. I'm Connor McKnight on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitch, ESPN 1000 Chicago. There's a one-hopper to second. What a backhand pick by Romy, and he throws him out from a knee. Well, look to the highlight reel tonight, folks. You'll see that play there. Yes, you did. Len Casper and Darren Jackson on the call. Romy Gonzalez with one heck of a play against Zach McKinstry. McKinstry was really good against the White Sox in the series in Detroit. Tigers took three of those four games, but the Sox, Mike Clevenger, Keenan Middleton, Lopez, Kelly, and Graven were able to keep McKinstry off the bags last night in no small part thanks to good defense on solidly hit baseballs by McKinstry. He lined one into the left center gap that Luis Robert Jr. ran down. What else is new? Made a great catch headed toward the wall in left center field. It would have scored runs too. There were a couple on in that fifth inning and no score in that ball game. I thought off the bat McKinstry had a chance to get this past Luis Robert Jr. He did not. Robert ran him down and made me feel foolish because every time Luis Robert Jr. starts running after a baseball, you look up and you, oh my goodness, he's going to get there already. I mean, it is the range the guy has in center field is wild because some of the catches he'll make are on, on, on batted balls that most center fielders have to catch on the run or, or extended or maybe even diving catches. But because of the jump he gets and the speed he gets up to so quickly, he just kind of glides through a lot of those catches. I mean, last, the one on McKinstry was, I mean, it was an exceptional effort. It was you know, not necessarily the best work Robert's done, but a really good catch nonetheless. He just kind of has a way of making even difficult stuff look routine out there in the alleys even if that includes taking some baseballs away from his corner outfielders, that's the kind of center fielder Luis Robert Jr. is. They also, with Romy Gonzalez, the highlight you heard coming back, they also kept Zach McKinstry from driving in more runs in the seventh. couple runners on in that one. Corners, actually, with two away. McKinstry hit a hard one-hopper to Romy, who made a good move on it at first. I mean, this ball was absolutely shot to his right. And he made a kind of a scoop flag play from the hip and was able to turn and throw the thing. It was really good glove work by Romy Gonzalez, who's a quick twitch guy that I've I've really come to, you know, try and point out he's much more athletic than he looks. I mean, Romy's kind of 
he's a tank, man. He's he's built out. He's a big dude, but much more athletic, way more athletic than he looks. And that's something White Sox coaching staff was actually talking about quite a bit during the offseason up until the point they signed Elvis Andrews uh, to compete with him and take that second base job. Now the two of them back in a competition as well. So good defense last night, as it usually does in a shutout leads to the White Sox blanking the Tigers 3-0. Still 12 games under and a lot of work to do. I, I mentioned, too, before the break, that one of the things that's going to factor in quite a bit to the White Sox next month of baseball is the schedule itself. And you might say, oh, of course it does, Connor. The teams you're playing are a very important component of how many games you're going to win. That's true. To a certain degree, though, I think in the month of May, things were much more about how the White Sox were playing than it was their particular opponents. There have just been times this season, obviously going back to April, things are, are much, much, were much, much worse in a much more different ball club, I think. It, it seems, though, that the White Sox are, were in a stretch for a little while in April and at times in May where they just... they couldn't maybe get out of their own way, whether that was the series in Kansas City where they lost three of four, the Tigers came back and beat them a couple of times. Uh, in the seventh, the White Sox had leads, and the Tigers came back to win two ball games in that series. And you just kind of thought, boy, if the, if the bullpen were a little tighter here, if the defense were a little tighter there, if you got one more hit with runners in scoring position in this ball game, then you wouldn't have to play on the margins like this. 15 and 14 in May, though, a much better record than it was in April, leaves June as a month where the White Sox really need to show both this division, their fans, the front office a little bit, and and perhaps even themselves that this is a team that can make a run in this division. And and I, I tell you why this is perhaps more difficult now in June than it had been in May, And that's just by virtue of the teams on the schedule. I've talked about this a bit on the pregame show. I've talked about this a bit on the postgame show and on our flagship station. After this series against Detroit, the White Sox will play 12 consecutive series before they face another AL Central opponent. They will face, after this series against Detroit, the Yankees, then the Marlins, the Dodgers, Mariners, Rangers, Red Sox, Angels, A's, Blue Jays, Cardinals, then the All-Star break, the Braves coming out of that, the Mets, and then, finally, the Minnesota Twins in the second-to-last week of July. They'll also play the Cleveland Guardians in that final week of July, so a lot of big games there. And the task, really, I mean, the job here for this ball club is to make sure, I, I also named a lot of very good teams, the Yankees, the Dodgers, the, the Marlins are pretty all right, the Mariners, the Rangers are on top of the AL West, the Red Sox are much spunkier than I thought they'd be coming into the season. The record for the Red Sox right now in the AL East is, is you know, 29 and 27. They would lead the AL Central. No, nope, they'd be two games off the pace in the AL Central. The Twins won their 31st last night. But even still, you know, everybody in that AL East has an over 500 record. The Red Sox being 10 games behind the Rays, notwithstanding, are a better ball club record rise than the White Sox right now. Uh, the A's, obviously, soft landing not there in Oakland. But when you go west, weird things can happen. The, the job here is to stay within striking distance of the Twins, I think. And with a healthy roster at this, or whomever is going to be at the top of the Central, because I'm not necessarily convinced the Twins are going to be wire-to-wire frontrunners or anything like that. Cleveland could jump up. Shoot, this Tigers team, hopefully after this weekend, is a 
is a fun. I said spunky already for the for the Red Sox, but the, the Tigers kind of remind me of that. They've got some big injuries with Riley Green and Eduardo Rodriguez and Matt Veerling all out. Not to not to mention the rest of their starting rotation that's been on the injured list since basically the start of the season. Still, it, it's this is that time in the schedule. This is you know that the White Sox had a month of May that was a little bit softer. They went for 15 and 14, better than 500, but probably could have done, uh, would have liked to do better than that, so as to be closer in the AL Central. There's the other deadlines make opportunities, right? Deadlines make decisions, and Major League Baseball has perhaps the biggest deadline in sports with the trade deadline coming up on August 1st through June. The White Sox are going to have to let everybody know that they want to add or at least stand pat, as opposed to be a club with a record where they are and a division perhaps, you know, moving the opposite direction, that they're a team that wants to, you know, make moves to increase their chances of winning a division as opposed to recoup and, and regather what needs to be done for, for a later season. Nobody wants to be in that spot, but the fact of the matter is this is the discussion that this team's got to have at this point, and they've got to do it while this month goes on, during this run of play. You know, July is is a, is a spot where after the draft especially, teams are going to have to have decisions made in terms of what the long term looks like and then kind of iron out those individual opportunities afterward. Is it this guy for this guy? Are we looking for this kind of minor league player? Are we looking for that kind of guy? Are we looking for somebody who can fill in now and you know take care of some opportunities later? Are we looking for players that are 18, 19, 20 years old in the minor leagues that can be bigger parts of a 2024, 2025 team? Those decisions got to get made before July begins so that you can start to have the, the conducive conversations over the All-Star break and up to the deadline. That means that these games against the Tigers, Yankees next week, and the Marlins are, are just as important as any on the schedule for the White Sox given the start they got off to in the month of April. So this schedule now becomes uh, a very important part, almost like a, a player on the White Sox roster here, in my mind. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number. It's White Sox Weekly. When we come back, I saw a couple of things. You know, the All-Star ballot, since speaking of the All-Star break, the All-Star ballot is out. Wanted to talk about a, a, a fact I saw about a ball player who was here at Guaranteed Rate Field just a little while ago that it it almost blew my mind. I, you knew this about the guy, but you didn't know this about the guys. So we'll get to that when we come back. We'll talk about a little bit about the All-Star break. We'll talk about a big day here at the ballpark yesterday and at ballparks all across the country celebrating Luke Gehrig Day as well. 312-332-3... Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. The world celebrates Taylor Swift's international tour. Is it international? I think it's international. It's here in Chicago right now. It should be international if it's not. It's actually funny. The uh, the White Sox are here in town while Swift is this tour. It's a huge storyline, and it's a huge traffic driver as well. Um, the White Sox were also at Camelback Ranch in spring training this year when Swift kicked off this tour. I'm, I'm almost positive that was, this was her first stop. It was in Glendale. It was at the um, Arizona Cardinals football stadium. 
which I'm spacing on the name of. It's just a couple of miles, I mean, maybe like two miles away from Camelback Ranch, where the White Sox play spring training. So this is two weekends now in a year where the White Sox lives, uh, traffic mostly, (laughs) drives home, have been affected by Taylor Swift. I, I was stunned. I happened to go out for dinner. Uh, after the White Sox played a day game, and then Taylor Swift had that first concert there in Arizona uh, earlier in spring. I went out to dinner, and I, I just the foot traffic. I and mean, you don't think of Phoenix or Glendale as a as a drive or as a as a walk town, but people were parking at these hotels, staying at these hotels, two two and a half three miles away. And it's it's different walking three miles in Phoenix than it is walking three miles in downtown Chicago, you know, from whatever to the north side down to, you know, Harrison or something like that. It's it's a it's dry. It's windy. It's difficult. There's no buildings and stuff like that. It's a, this is a long walk. People were walking like it was nothing. I mean, making pilgrimage down to this Taylor Swift concert. So again, here in town, the White Sox and Taylor Swift are linked uh, as they shall be for the rest of time. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. That's the phone number. Uh, if you've always wanted to watch batting practice, we actually just did here at the ballpark. White Sox took a little bit. Tigers were taking some infield. Uh, if you've always wanted to watch batting practice, now you can. Don't miss your chance for an exclusive pregame experience to watch the White Sox and visiting team take early BP. This offer is only available for two more select games, just two. June 21st against the Rangers and July 5th against the Blue Jays. That's coming up. So to purchase tickets, visit whitesox.com slash BP. Uh, Mentioned before the break that I wanted to talk a little bit about the All-Star game. That's coming up. It's in Seattle. Sox are actually headed out there in just a little bit. It's in Seattle, and you can vote now, MLB.com, and just click the big banner ad that says, you know, All-Star Game, vote here, that kind of stuff. Send Luis Robert Jr. to the All-Star Game. He's deserving of it. Uh, That's for sure. But I saw this piece from Cole Jacobson on MLB Network, or MLB.com, I should say. And it, I mean, brain exploded. Mike Trout has an opportunity to make baseball history, and we just saw him here at Guaranteed Rate Field hitting far too many home runs, but Mike Trout's going to do that. He's potentially one of the best ball players that's ever played. How great. All right, maybe the All-Star game can tell us. Trout has made the All-Star team in every season in which the game was played since he became a full-time starter in 2012. There was no All-Star game in 2020. That's the caveat. There was a pandemic, and we didn't play an All-Star game. Trout has been voted a starter for each All-Star game since 2013, meaning that if he gets the nod from fans again this year, that'd be his 10th straight selection as a starter from 2013 to this year, 2023, with the exception of 2020, where there was no All-Star game. How rare is this? Jacobson writes, since the All-Star game was first played in 1933, only eight other players have been voted to start in at least 10 consecutive years. Worth noting here, before we get into some of these, uh, some of the names, some of the numbers, you're going to say, well, what about this guy? What about that? Babe Ruth only played until 1935. So yes, he was a two-time All-Star, 33 and 34, uh, but the All-Star game didn't exist prior to 1933. So yeah, that comes with a little bit here. However, most consecutive years, only eight other players, Rod Carew, 18 consecutive seasons as an all-star starter. Cal Ripken Jr. of the Orioles, 13 seasons as an all-star starter. George Brett of the Royals, 11. Ken Griffey Jr., Mariners and Reds, 11. 
Willie Mays, you may have heard of him, 10 seasons. Johnny Bench, 10 seasons. Sorry, Giants and Reds, I should have mentioned for Mays and Bench, but you probably knew that. Ozzie Smith of the Cardinals, 10 seasons. That's it. When your name, and listen, we've talked about this a lot here over the last decade of baseball. We've watched Mike Trout on the West Coast become one of the game's greats, right? And I think in this division, and particularly in this series where the White Sox are playing the Tigers, and Miguel Cabrera was in the lineup last night, obviously not the same Miguel Cabrera everybody watched uh, for years prior, right? I mean, he's not the power threat, anything like that, but he's still accumulating milestones, you know, like 3,000 hits and and the 500 home runs that he did last year. I think he just had his uh, 1,000th double, all this other kind of stuff. It's, It's really cool to have at least be my age and have watched these guys their entire careers. Trout is a guy that, you know, if you're, what, if you're an 18-year-old, sorry, if you're a 28-year-old baseball fan, you've watched Trout since your senior season of high school all the way up until now. You've seen every part of Mike Trout's baseball career. And this is, you know, walking amongst us, one of baseball's all-time greats. And I think it's just really cool to see that name, Mike Trout, Amongst Ozzie Smith, Johnny Bench, Willie Mays, Ken Griffey Jr., George Brett, Cal Ripken Jr., and Rod Carew as the only players, if Trout's selected as an all-star starter this year, and there's very reason, very little reason why he wouldn't be, uh, as the only players to be starters for 10 straight seasons in the all-star game. Now, the reason I'm, I'm kind of interested in celebrating this part of the game, even though he's, he's not a White Sox and did some damage here at the South Side just a college this last week, is something that, that really caught me yesterday. Um, Lou Gehrig Day yesterday around Major League Baseball. And obviously, if you, ha- if you don't know the story of Lou Gehrig, uh, log on to Baseball Reference, click through some of the pages, look through some of the numbers, and, and, and get yourself familiarized. If you're one of the younger listeners, ask your folks or, or ask whomever it is that's the older baseball presence in your life. Gehrig, uh, a legendary Yankee, was stricken with ALS, and that cut short his playing career. He died in the 40s, 1948, if memory serves correctly. Um, and since then, the research and care for and practices around ALS have improved, but there is no cure. Um, it is a disease that is uh, affecting someone who's very close to a lot of, of people in Major League Baseball. Sarah Langs is a researcher for MLB.com and MLB Network, has been for a while. And if you've been listening to White Sox Weekly here over the last few years, you've heard Sarah on the show uh, no fewer than probably 10 times. Um, I started for the second time here doing White Sox Weekly and and the pre- and post-game shows in 2021. And Sarah uh, guested on shows during the offseason, I think, like I said, no no fewer than 10 times over that turn. and did so while suffering from ALS. Um, She has launched a campaign along with a couple other ALS research foundations, some of whom were here at the ballpark last night uh, to help honor those and and raise funds for, awareness for, research funds for those of them, those struggling with ALS, those dealing with this fatal disease. Um, She's got T-shirts that that proceeds benefit. Baseball is the best. Likely you've seen them. Um, And... I, her, her attitude toward baseball, uh, her attitude 
her infectious enthusiasm toward this game, the guys who play it, the accomplishments of players, even in the most you know, seemingly minuscule parts of the game or, or even even meaningless parts. It could be garbage time, but somebody puts up a pitch that looks like nothing we've seen before or a home run that outpaces distances, you know, in this particular subset of statistics. She just celebrates this game and the connections it can make for people in a way that um, that, that really spoke to me over the last couple of years. And I've I've been pretty inspired by her attitude toward it, especially in light of, you know, what she deals with on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, having been Lou Gehrig Day yesterday, having uh, seen everyone here at the ballpark who's had that touch their lives um, in, in devastating ways at times, and still maintain an enthusiasm for, if nothing else, this game, and like I say, the connections that it make was was really something else. So, you know, when we talk about some of the accomplishments, um, some of the, you know, career feats, like we talked about with Mike Trout here just in this segment, it's kind of that attitude that I've, and, and hopefully you can take something from, um, and, and apply it to this summer's, you know, run of baseball here on the South Side and, and whatever other games that you find yourself watching late at night or early in the morning, as it were, depending on what time zone you're in or what time zone teams are going to play in. Shoot, we've got games in London this year. We've got early morning games uh, all throughout and, and at times during Sundays, you know, get your, your, your morning baseball on Apple TV. I think they got your, your kickoff kind of thing. I, it's just, I don't know, I'm, I'm really glad that, that Major League Baseball is... Um, in a, in a cemented way, celebrating the the life of Lou Gehrig, the career of Lou Gehrig, and, and using that to help raise funds for and research for those still suffering from the disease, especially when someone who's been so integral to your enjoyment of baseball, Sarah Langs, even from behind the scenes and in front of the camera here over the last couple of years, um, I I find that I don't know. I there's a certain joy to that, and I'm, I'm glad that that's part of this game. It's something that's so woven into the fabric of our lives, baseball, that, you know, why shouldn't it be part of uh, what we what we deal with as a community and how we suffer with, you know, these kinds of things that, that impact our lives? Why can't this game still be a touchstone uh, for joy on a day-to-day basis? Since it is 162 games and 180-something days, why not let it be something that puts a smile on your face? And I just think that's an attitude that, that Sarah has kind of rekindled um, for me, and I hope that it does something for you, and I, I hope we can bring some of that through White Sox Weekly throughout the rest of the year, throughout the years to come. 312-332-3776, that's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. When we come back... Uh, Javier Baez plays shortstop for the Detroit Tigers and, of course, drew a lot of interest from White Sox beat reporters, a lot of Chicago baseball beat reporters because he spent so many years on the north side of town. The guys went over and talked to him a little bit yesterday. He shared some really interesting perspective about the, the Tigers, the opponent for the White Sox here today, his perspective on being a fairly polarizing baseball player in this league, a guy who's going to come to the plate here at Guaranteed Rate Field today and get booed not for what he may do as a Tiger, but what for he did do as a Chicago Cub, as a rival of White Sox fans and players here for a decade. And I I think it's some interesting stuff and perspective from one of baseball's uh, certainly most impressive defenders and brightest smiles and biggest bat speed. So you hear that when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight. It's White Sox Weekly on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. 
ESPN Chicago Triple Play AM FM HD and app. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We got a ball game coming up here at Guaranteed Rate Field in a little bit. Eleven, uh, rather one ten. It's eleven forty-seven now. One ten first pitch for the White Sox and Tigers. Dylan Cease. For the White Sox, Michael Lorenzen. For the Tigers, Lorenzen was really good his last time he faced the White Sox. Dylan Cease looking to you know, get back to being Dylan Cease. Uh, results have been all right, but he's been hit around a little bit too. Strikeouts uh, down some, walks up a little bit. So perhaps a June push for Dylan would go a long way for the White Sox. I, I imagine that it would, and he's pitched well against the Tigers in his career. ERA just over two against the Tigers' lifetime. 312-332-37. 76. That's the phone number. Although, you don't want to hold on to it for a couple of minutes. White Sox beat reporters, uh, Jesse Rogers among them here at ESPN 1000, and a guy who frequently fills in, and we love him for it, on the pre- and post-game show and here on White Sox Weekly, uh, wandered over to the Tigers' dugout prior to yesterday's game. And they wanted to talk to Javier Baez. In case you missed it before the break, I mentioned, you know, obviously Baez is a guy that gets a lot of attention everywhere he goes, and that's especially true here in Chicago, Baez having played on the north side and winning a World Series with the Cubs. I know, yada, yada, yada. It's a long time ago. Still... It's pretty amazing, and I think a great part of our sport, that when Baez comes to the plate at Guaranteed Rate Field, even though he signed an enormous contract with the Tigers, that he gets booed by White Sox fans because he played for the Cubs. I love it. I absolutely love it. That kind of intensity, I I think Baez, I think it's even better because it's Baez, because he's Javier Baez. And he loves that kind of stuff. He feeds off of it, and in a positive way, too, right? I think we've all seen, you know, baseball stars who have, uh, you know, kind of gone negative with that kind of negative attention. And, and I, I get it. I understand it. Nobody likes to be booed. Well, maybe Javier Baez does. Nobody likes it necessarily, but he kind of feeds off that energy and turns it around. And a lot of players will talk about how, you know, you're, you're out there, you're focused on a job, you hear all that noise. And instead of, you know, picking out individual boos or insults or anything like that, you know, as long as it's, you know, just, just baseball insults and nothing terrible about, you know, mothers or anything else, you, you just kind of turn that into, well, they're cheering for me. And it's noise and it's for me, you know, that kind of thing. It, it's wild, the switch that can be flipped in a big league ball player's head. I, I don't know the kind of psychology you've got to be. Uh, to get to that point, but there's a lot of similarities between um, guys who get to this elite level of competition. Anyway, Baez is an interesting character, and one that has a lot of ties to the city. Uh, in fact, on the off day, you'll hear him talk about it. He took a lot of his teammates around Chicago to kind of show them his favorite spots. Baez has a street named after him in Humboldt Park. Baez is Puerto Rican. Humboldt Park, obviously a, a very Puerto Rican neighborhood with some amazing food, uh, and a street named Javier Baez Way now, too. So that's a really cool honor for him and a place he used to hang out quite a bit. Well-deserved. Here, though, on the south side, Baez is a very, you know, he's a a fun guy to hate, I think. And you'll hear some of that come out, some of that personality, some of that edge, some of that... um, some of that bravado all here in a couple of minutes with White Sox beat reporters. Here it is, an exchange uh, between the beat and Javier Baez from yesterday. Do you expect uh, every time you come back here, uh, Sox fans are booing you like you still play for the Cubs? <laughs> and uh, you seem to enjoy it. You get them riled up when you get on base and stuff. Yeah, I mean, kind of used to it now, you know, when when I was with the Cubs, you know, coming coming across town and, you know, that, that, that barrel. 
was was really tough and they're gonna do their fans are gonna do what they're gonna do you know um you know we'll see how, how it goes this weekend um well you know we, we're playing good baseball so that's that's what that's our focus now what do you think about the tigers finally you know kind of in the race it's been a couple years um last year didn't go well are you feeling excited that they're meaningful games yeah um same thing, there's, there's, there's a lot of good talent, young talent here that, like I say all the time, they just got to go out there, um, be themselves, um, fix the mistakes that, that, that we make, because we're going to make mistakes. And if you, you're honest to yourself and, you know, say, say I, I told myself, like, when I messed up, and, you know, we just got to make adjustments and, and, and have fun. You know, it's, it's a hard game, and... and you know, when when you're doing good, everything is fine, and when when you're not doing that, that was, it's it's hard to get out of it. So, just gotta enjoy what we can. Peter uh, and a really good teammate. What was important yesterday about the off day and getting your teammates together and show them a little bit of different sides? Yeah, I mean, they just they all wanted to do something about you know Chicago, and um, I told I told them I had the best idea just to go on a boat and. That's what we did, and we had fun. It was really fun. And, and you know a guy. We got a rest, so we, we got the rest, but at the same time, we chill. Hayward's boat? Whose boat did you No, um, he's captain. Oh, um, you did? Yeah. So he, he but I, I actually talked to Jay on FaceTime when, when we were out there. So um, it was it would be better if it was Wednesday that we have five words. Right, right. right, right. I'm, I'm curious just about difference in fans. You always had, you know, 40,000 every day, you know cheering you on for most of your career. Detroit fans are known as good fans as well, but not as much. So what what has been that uh, getting used to part of it for you? Um, you know, I just, I control what I, what I can control, you know, first of all. Um, but, you know, there's there's many fans in, in Detroit that, that really care about, you know, the team. Um, like you say, we last year we, we didn't it didn't go like like we wanted to. Um, it was my my first year too here. Um, obviously, I was trying to do you know too much to 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 show something that you know it it, it comes to you. Um, but like I say, if if we play good, obviously the 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 fans will, will want to come watch us play. It's kind of turned it around after that. It's with you and AJ when he sat you that one game. Is that what happened there? It's just uh, taken off since then. Too. Yeah, no, I mean, it wasn't nothing with AJ. It was just it was just me and my and my head. Um, I mean, the only thing that I can say about that was I, I felt like I was speeding up with the clock. And I was in my mind wasn't right like here. I was kind of like all over the place, and just that day I kind of I switched everything up. Um, my first at bat I called time in the first before the first pitch so I can take my time because um, I was kind of struggling not seeing the ball. Then I had everything right, timing, hit the ball good. I thought it was going. I took my time out of the box. Then I, I forgot the outs. It was it was just something just bad for me, and I don't like making excuses. But that's when I call. I call my family, and I, and I told I just I told them everything I felt, and just everything went away. To be honest, and just same time. I mean, same thing. I'm still making adjustments. Um, you know, I'm still working hard, trying not to swing at the slider down in the way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it is what it is, you know. It's, 
he just, he just competition. He, he seemed to have a good handle on things. When Ross took you out of that game in Chicago, you you came out right away, talked to everybody, said, "Hey, this is okay." I mean, you you seem to not get offended by things that don't work out for you. No, because they're not gonna end. You still you still gonna mess up, and you're gonna be ready for it. And I don't. With other respect, I don't I don't go with. With what people say about me, or you know, my numbers, or my attitude, or what I do, I, I'll be myself. It doesn't matter who like it or not. That's Tigers shortstop Javier Baez. I thought that was some pretty interesting stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, Baez has been in this game since 2014. He's been a notable figure in all the places he's played, whether it's on the north side with the Mets or now here with Detroit. And you know, quite frankly, his benching and that's what he's talking about at the end there his you know talking to his family getting his head right all that kind of stuff he got benched by AJ Hinch um he was struggling at the time he didn't run one out got benched it was actually about a week and a half before a very similar situation happened um somewhat different in the details but somewhat similar situation happened with Luis Robert Jr um and after that he started to play a lot better. The team started to play a lot better. You heard him talking about getting his uh, his his mental state in a little better situation, and I I think it's worth pointing out that with a guy like Baez, who's you know everything seems to come so easily to him. I mean, yeah, I mean, there there are obviously a lot of strikeouts that come with him. He even joked about laying off the slider low and away, which I thought was funny. Uh, there's there's a lot of preternatural skill with Javier Baez, a lot of elite skill sets that come along with Javier Baez. And even then, he's got to make sure that the mind is right, the fundamentals are there, that the the will and the soul is all there to compete at the same time. So I I think that's, it's instructive I, I, a little bit. I think it is uh, helpful to remind ourselves at times that there's a lot more going on in a plate appearance or on a ground ball to short then meets the eye. It's it's a lot about everything else that's going into a player's given situation or day, and those things are are managed by a lot of people as well, by his teammates, by his family, by his coaches, by his front office, by his trainers, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's um, it's just a little human piece of the ball game that I think kind of at times gets away from us a little bit. Tell you what's coming up next on the final half hour of White Sox Weekly. We'll do that in just 10 seconds. Pause it here for station identification. Live from the old National Bank State Street studio. This is WMVP WSHEHD2 Chicago, a good karma brand's radio station. It is a gorgeous day at the ballpark. The White Sox and Tigers play game two of the series coming up at 110, our pregame show at 1230, which means we have about a half an hour left to hang. If you're looking for a unique way to start your game day, treat your group to a pregame patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com patio or call or text 312-674-1000. Not for nothing, the double cheese out there at the patio one of the i mean that's it is a solid burger just the that's the one len talks about a lot on the broadcast the bertucci boys bring it up to us every now and again when we're very very lucky Whew, that double cheese is solid the combo's great too it's a killer italian sausage just really good stuff get out to the patio 312-674-1000 uh, i want to get into dylan cease and the starts he's made over the last little bit He's the starter for the White Sox. Michael Lorenzen for the Tigers. We'll talk pitching when we come back on White Sox Weekly. It's the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.
Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. Loving him is like driving Welcome back to White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. We've got less than a half an hour until the start of the pregame show. 12.30 for that. It's a 1.10 first pitch. It is a beautiful day here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Sox won the first of this three-game series against the Tigers. A 3-0 shutout last night. They'll look to take the series with a win this afternoon. Dylan Cease and Michael Lorenzen, the starters for this ball game. Tomorrow is going to be an interesting one as well, of course. Uh, the Tigers, although I should check the beat reporters and see if they've put out an official starter already. It had been TBD for a while, and it is going to be Michael Kopech for the White Sox and for the Tigers, who are dealing with some injuries, a handful of them in the rotation, they're going to turn to Matthew Boyd, a lefty, 32 years old. He's been with the Tigers for a little bit. Uh, Matthew Boyd to make that start. They're having to cobble together some innings are the Tigers. They got a good start from Reese Olsen in his Major League debut last night, but are without Eduardo Rodriguez and Matt Matting and uh, Mize and Scooble and, boy, uh, Bo Brisky also. Their depth in the rotation has really been tested this season. Uh, The offense has been okay, an interesting one with some, uh, some impressive spots in places, but Riley Green, maybe their best overall player, probably their best overall player, is out uh, for this foreseeable future. He's got a stress fracture in his fibula, Uh, so it's no no telling, no timeline yet as to when Riley Green could be back. So these Tigers kind of face an interesting inflection point, obviously in second place in the AL Central with a roster that, that, quite frankly, is building not built necessarily. There are good players. Uh, you know, Javier Baez is there and signed to a big deal. Miguel Cabrera is playing in his final season. But, you know, by and large, the, the fill-in guys, the, the fill-out pieces are, you know, kind of building up to being regular forces in this league as opposed to, you know, having the roster with the back of the baseball card that the White Sox expect to have in this season. And yet, here are the Tigers in second place. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, where the Tigers kind of angle themselves toward the trade deadline here. I I would be, I kind of liken them right now to where the Orioles were last year. Remember the Orioles had brought up Adley Rutschman. They had a lot of their young players, not all of them, but a lot of their young players providing. They had a pitching staff that largely was getting by with good performances from guys that didn't have a whole lot of track record, with with a few exceptions. And, you know, within shouting distance of a wild card spot down the stretch, down toward the trade deadline last year, the Orioles decided to trade away and add pieces for down the line as opposed to trade for players that could help them win the wild card spot now. And that was met with. That was met with a good deal of criticism from some places. I didn't really quite see it. For the Orioles at that point, I was very much thinking, okay, the long term is the game here, the long play, right? Because you had other prospects coming up, guys like Gunnar Henderson, for interest, for, for instance, that were gonna should help supplement the young star players that were already there, your Cedric Mullins, your Adley Rutschman, your Ryan Mountcastle, you know, guys that were going to, you know, be parts of this going forward. And also, with the Orioles specifically, a lot like the Tigers this year, they're just it looked like there needed to be a lot more pitching depth, specifically in the starting rotation, 
before that team was really ready to push in in some other spots. So all that said, I, I do kind of see the Tigers in a similar situation, facing you know per- potentially a, a, a shot at a playoff spot with an AL Central win if they can track down the Twins, if they can hold off the White Sox and hold off the Guardians, maybe. Uh, but I do think that this roster is more geared toward 24 and 25 than it is necessarily this year in 23. Now, that makes things interesting from the White Sox perspective, too, because the Guardians, although they won the AL Central last year, have a lot of young players and are going through an exceptional amount of growing pains and have some injuries in their rotation with Tristan McKenzie and Aaron Savali, just to name a few, dealing with some things. The Guardians are also a ball club that has whether infamously or famously, uh, kind of dealt with payroll constrictions of their own accord or, you know, of, of natural circumstances being in Cleveland and a smaller market. That's, you know, it's, it's for a longer form writer to kind of delve into, but they traded away Francisco Lindor and were able to capitalize on the returns of that trade, no doubt. But that means that some of the higher ticket guys, guys like Shane Bieber, maybe, might not be long-term plays for the Guardians. So, kind of getting into game theory here. So, as we tread down the stretch, the month of June, if this division looks kind of like it does now, with four teams, the Twins, the Tigers, the Guardians, and the White Sox, all, you know, really kind of scuffling, maybe a game or two or three over 500, maybe four or five or six games under 500, but all within, I'm kind of spitballing here, but something like seven games of the top spot, you know, four teams within seven games of the top spot in the division as you get into the all-star break. I think the long-term plays, the long-term philosophies, uh, philosophies isn't exactly the right word, but the long-term kind of setups for these ball clubs becomes another factor in what each individual team may do to address their own ball club at the deadline. For instance, you know, the White Sox have existing contracts, are a win-now team with expectations, a ball club that added veterans and Mike Clevenger and Elvis Andrews to help push for a divisional title. They're kind of of the mindset that the time is now, right? This is what we've been talking about since the rebuild ended in 2020, arguably 2019. And these players got here, the contracts got extended, the talent got kind of, you know, assembled and has bounced back and forth between states of healthy and not healthy and performing and not performing, right? That's been the, you know, quite frankly, the aggravation of this ball club here over the last two seasons after the AL Central title. However, you know, you could have two teams, the Guardians and the Tigers, that may be all within this, you know, mess of AL Central that are looking at a long term that feels a little bit more like the Orioles last year being close and good, better than they thought they'd be, but still aiming for the longer play and moving some pieces off the roster so as to kind of, you know, bolster the rest of uh, 24, 25, 26, you know, that kind of thing. I I don't know how much a driving factor that's going to be for either one of those teams, the Tigers and the the Guardians specifically, but it is going to be a factor. The other team in this division, the Minnesota Twins, is the the only other one that I kind of see as 
a team that's assembled itself to win now, right? They signed Carlos Correa in the offseason. You've got Byron Buxton already on the roster and extended. You traded for uh, for Pablo Lopez in the rotation, who has taken a swift downturn over the last month or so. You've traded for, shoot, the Twins with a trade partner for the Orioles, uh, picking up Jorge Lopez out of the back end of the bullpen. They picked up Tyler Molly, who is now on the injured list. That team pushed in last year. I've got no reason. I can't think of many reasons unless you know things were really to change and injuries really piled up for them, and they are dealing with some bang-ups to Byron Buxton and Carlos Correa right now. Buxton was hit by a pitch in the ribs the other night. He had to leave the game. Carlos Correa exited the game. He's got plantar fasciitis that's been popping up, and he's had to deal with for most of the season so far. He had to exit the game. So maybe those things start to turn the long-term aspects of the long-term view of the Twins. But as I see it now, these two teams are the ones that are going to add most heavily should they remain in the AL Central race. I, I think it's worth talking about here as you start the month of June, and it'll be a point of conversation, but what's going to be the larger issue in determining how that conversation goes is just the play on the field, right? I mean, incumbent in this conversation, in becoming buyers or being more of a buyer than those two other clubs, the Tigers and the Guardians, is playing better baseball in June. Being a team that isn't just seven and a half out in the division, but maybe three or four games out in the division, picking up ground. And that's on the players themselves. It's on the coaching staff. It's on the front office. They know that. Rick Hahn has talked about that just as we started the series, uh, started the homestand, rather, against the Angels earlier in the week. I do think, though, that like in this AL Central, Given the fact that every team except the Twins is under 500, and you know even the Twins are just barely over the break-even mark, that that becomes a bigger issue than in most other divisions in baseball. The only other one that that comes even close to touching the same dynamic, at least from my perspective now, is the NL Central, and even then. I don't know that you could probably put the same sort of ideals on each one of those teams because you've got, I mean, it's, it's NL stuff and it's a different division, but you've got some different forces at play there with the Cardinals, the Pirates, the Cubs, and Brewers all in very different states than the four teams that are kind of you know in the mix here in the AL Central. I don't know that there's a one-to-one analogy with either one, any one of those NL Central teams to any of these AL Central teams. Maybe, maybe one, the Cardinals and the White Sox, perhaps. Dylan Cease gets the ball today for the White Sox, and it's been... It's been a bit of a thing for Dylan this year. An AL Cy Young runner-up last season. This year, he's been dependable in starts. He's been hit around in others. The stuff has looked somewhat similar, but it definitely hasn't been the same. And the results haven't been the same yet. Right about this time last year, Dylan was beginning that run of 14 consecutive starts, having allowed one run or fewer. It would be a good time to pick that up and get back to being that kind of Dylan Cease. I think when you watch his starts, you can definitely see that that's there for Cease. It's just been tough to stay consistent throughout, you know, really one individual start. I want to talk about his last time out and Michael Lorenzen's last time out. He pitched against the White Sox and was very good. We'll do that when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Just a little bit of White Sox Weekly left before the pregame show starts at 1230. All here 
on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Carmen and Yurko, noon to two weekdays, ESPN Chicago. We are closing it up here on White Sox Weekly, last segment of the show, 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Pre-game show coming up at 1230. Dylan Cease and Michael Lorenzen, the starters for the White Sox and Tigers here in Game 2 of a three-game weekend series. It is a gorgeous day at the ballpark. I mean, I know I've said that the last couple of segments, but it feels like it just keeps getting nicer. Roger Bossard and the grounds crew are out watering down the infield. It is a picture-perfect day for some baseball here on the south side. Be here on Friday, August 25th, for our second post-game concert featuring Vanilla Ice headlining the I Love the 90s tour presented by Whittingham Meats. I hope he sings Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. Also featuring Rob Bass and Tone Loke. Oh, that's one it Tone Loke is one of DJ's favorites, and mine too, to be honest with you. You want an up-close on-field experience? Exclusive Field Pass ticket packages are on sale now with limited availability. To purchase tickets, visit whitesocks.com slash concert. You know, a lot of people are fans of Tone Loke's music. I thought he was transcendent in Ace Ventura uh, as one of the detectives partnering with Ace, just for what it's worth. We've uh, got two starters going today who both last saw the opponent in their last start. For Dylan Cease, last time out was against the Tigers on the 28th in Detroit. He went four innings, gave up four earned, one home run, four walks, eight strikeouts. It was a it was a really weird start for Dylan. He did not have command of the strike zone well at all. Uh, he still battled, and quite frankly, keeping the Tigers that day to four runs with the four walks and eight strikeouts was kind of a feat in and of itself. It was the most pitches he's thrown in a start this year. Pardon, second most pitches he's thrown in a start this year, 102. He threw 113 in a start against the Baltimore Orioles back in April. On the season for Cease, it's a 3-3 three and three record, 62 and two-thirds innings, a 4.88 ERA. There's still a lot of strikeouts with 68. But Cease only has one start only. One start of double-digit strikeouts, and that was his first go against the Astros on opening day. He struck out 10 and walked none. 29 walks for Cease, who led baseball in walks last year among qualified pitchers and still finished second in Cy Young voting. What has looked different for Cease has been the pitch mix this year. Last year, he threw 42.9%. 43% of his pitches were sliders. That's down by almost 4% this year. It's down to 39. He's throwing more fastballs than sliders for the first time since last season. In 2021, he's heavy fastball usage, a lower slider usage. The curveball is up a little bit. And I, I think, you know, whether it's reading stuff from, you know, Saris and the Athletic, the Stuff Plus kind of thing, it's an advanced metric, and we've only got four minutes left in the show, so I don't have the time to explain it, nor the brain power to do so either. But I follow the basics, and for the most part, the slider's just, it's not the slider it was last year, or hasn't been to this point. Curveball's been a little better, and I think that probably leads itself to the pitch mix we're seeing. More curveballs, fewer sliders. For Dylan, 
I, I think he's been attacked early in counts by a lot of teams. I think they saw what he did last year, and I think trying to work around that aggression by opposing hitters has been uh, a difficult thing, perhaps. it's The stuff is there. I mean, even though I'm talking about down ticks in stuff, I'm talking about some of the elite in the game dropping down to being only very, very good, right? So there is still absolute opportunity for Dylan to command and control some of the stuff he's got better and work his way through lineups and looking like the guy he did last year if the stuff doesn't bounce back to where it was in 2022. And that's throwing out the, and I wouldn't do this, but that's throwing out the idea that the stuff can't back to get back to where it was in 2022. Remember, you know, right on the precipice as he began that run of consecutive starts last year allowing one earned run or less, Dylan kind of messed with the grip on the slider. He, he moved it back in his hand, more hand on the baseball, created more break, a deeper break, and just absolutely started icing guys. I mean, hitters had no chance against some of the breaking stuff he was throwing last year. And that was just, you know, I joke about it a little bit, but that was just really one weird thing will make your slider explode more, right? Who's to say that that kind of similar change or an adjusted grip can't help kind of control hitters for the rest of the way this season. He's done it before. You'd have to believe he can do it again. Speaking of pitching performances, Michael Lorenzen was really good last time out. Ninth start of the season today. His last start was against the White Sox. Six and two-thirds innings. He allowed two unearned runs on two hits. He had a perfect game until two outs in the sixth. Romy Gonzalez broke that up. So hopefully the White Sox have watched that tape. They have. They've watched that tape, and they'll have a better plan against Michael Lorenzen today so as to not allow him a perfect game up until two outs in the sixth inning, somebody needing to break it up. Also, uh, you know, a note from the Miners. We mentioned this in the postgame last night, and actually during the broadcast last night as well. Noah Schultz, the six foot nine lefty, first-round pick of the White Sox last year, made his minor league debut last night. He pitched for the Canapolis Cannonballers, who have great hats and logos. It's just awesome stuff. But that's his minor league debut. He'd been laid up to start the season with some forearm issues. That's always scary when you hear it, but great to see a guy pitching afterward. He threw two innings, part of a buildup, two innings, five strikeouts, one hit. So allowed just one knock, and of the six outs he got, five were on strikeouts. Uh, some reports, Jeff Cohen, who uh, does some work with Sox Machine, do, they do great work following this ball club, and Jeff Cohen's down there in Charlotte, I think, a lot, so credit to him. Uh, he had some video of it, uh, and, and also some accounts of it. The stuff looked really good. The velocity was there. The slider from Schultz, that lefty, that six foot nine lefty, is absolutely dominant. So great to see the first-round pick of the White Sox from last year make his minor league debut in such a big way. That's going to do it for us here on White Sox Weekly. The pregame show is coming up in just a couple of minutes. Big thanks to Kendra Smith, our producer in our downtown Chicago studios. A huge thank you to Clint Frazier, White Sox outfielder, for being our guest here on the show. In case you missed it, all episodes are downloadable on the ESPN Chicago app. We've got the pregame show next. White Sox and Tigers coming your way from Guaranteed Rate Field on the Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.